In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Guys, is your marriage stuck in a rut? Do you seem to be spinning your wheels and going nowhere? Or maybe you're just stuck in a mud bog and you're just flinging a mess everywhere. We have an amazing conversation today that will help you in your marriage. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. We salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men on the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host and guide of today's number one podcast on Spotify for Christian men, leading you to your best version in that stress bubble of life and beyond. Welcome to today's show. Before we get into a great interview today, I want to share our hero story. Again, we are gathering 365 hero stories this year, and this one came in just yesterday. This is hero story number 101 from Ruben in Los Angeles, California. He says this, I'm a former police officer who experienced several shootings while working undercover. I was wounded in the shootouts, awarded a Medal of Valor, but I never dealt with my mental torment that comes with being involved in violence. I allowed my anger and things to get the best of me. Eventually, I ended up in prison uh, for my crimes, and uh, there's and in there, I came to know Jesus, and that was a game changer. And he said, I'm contacting you just to connect with others that are doing God's work. So, man, what a great story of vulnerability. What an amazing story. So, Ruben, hit us up at info at menintherena.org with your address. We want to send you some swag just to say thank you. Hey, guys, this episode is sponsored by our very first sponsor in almost 700 episodes, Juniper Mountain Trading Post. Juniper Mountain Trading Coast is a coffee company. This is my new favorite coffee. Uh, I am really enjoying their different varieties. One of the coffees I'm really enjoying right now is their bourbon barrel mix. They take 
be these beans are not sugar flavored. They're not even flavored. They just put them in genuine 15 year old Kentucky bourbon barrels, and they they roll they spin them, and the taste that comes out you can there you can taste vanilla, you can taste nut. I feel like a wine connoisseur drinking coffee, and you can taste the the hints of bourbon, but there's no alcohol in this coffee at all. You can just get these hints of bourbon in the coffee. It's really a neat experience. And I'm not a flavored coffee drinker, which is good because this is not flavored coffee. So I encourage you guys to go pick this up. It is really good stuff. If you go to junipermountaintradingpost.com and at the checkout, enter the code ARENA, you'll get 10% off on your coffee. Guys, hey, thanks a lot, guys, again, for making this Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Guys, I'm so excited today to have my new friend on here, Rich Millentree. Rich and Deanna, his beautiful bride of 27 years, are the founders of Growing in Marriage, which helps Christian married couples who are stuck in a marriage rut take small steps toward each other, recapture lost affection, and work as a team to create an intimate marriage. Rich and Deanna also host the weekly podcast, Growing in Marriage, providing godly wisdom and practical tools to help you grow in your marriage and move toward an intimate, affectionate relationship. And I'll tell you what, Rich, I'm excited to come on here and learn from you because I am always working on the marriage. As I shared offline, you know, my wife and I laugh, we have a high maintenance marriage. And so it takes a lot of work. So I'm excited to learn from your wisdom and your 27 years of marriage. But before we do, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for uh, for having me and hosting me. I really do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to uh, our time today. And any time that I get to talk about marriage, um, man, I'm in my sweet spot. So uh, really looking forward to see what God has in store for us. So my story really quickly is, in a nutshell, I'll say, is um, I started as a youth pastor and from there became a senior associate pastor and really found my groove in when I took the calling and took the job of being a marriage pastor. And that has been truly the the joy, one of the joys of my life. I feel so blessed and incredibly uh, just overwhelmed and enriched by how God has used uh, that particular ministry to to serve uh, other couples. And And here's the crazy thing about it. I feel like Everything that Deanna and I do in marriage and helping other couples, it's it's for me. Like I, yes. we, the blessing flows both ways clearly. And when we are sitting across from another couple, we're doing coaching with them. Uh, the blessing is flowing both ways. Um, from our time in being a marriage pastor, we decided to launch a podcast just for our church members. And our church was small. We're about 220 members. And we wanted to augment what was happening on Sunday service. And then we had a small group during the week, but we wanted to give our couple something more to latch on to during the week, during that time. So we launched a podcast. And crazy thing is, is our couples began to share that podcast with other couples who were outside the church. So it wasn't a public podcast. It was just something we had on our church app. And so as they began to share it, we had people show up to our church. I'll never forget this. The first couple that showed up to our church that came up to the altar and we were having a time of prayer. 
and he says, um, hey, do you know um, uh, Rich Millentree? Is he around? And I said, yeah, I'm rich. And he said, <laughs> um, you don't know me, but my wife and I drove all the way here from a different city. And we just want to let you guys know that you have changed our marriage. We would not Whoa. be married. We will still not be married if it had not been for you uh, and your wife. And and we wow. thought somebody was pranking us. We thought, oh, oh come funny. on, somebody is, right? And, uh, and, and they weren't. And then it happened again, Jim. And we're like, what is going on? So that's when we decided to launch the podcast growing in marriage and um now it's worldwide and we we deal with couples we have a coaching practice we help couples not only in the united states but in canada new zealand um we have couples everywhere that reach out so really really grateful for what we're doing yeah your numbers are pretty strong man i mean yeah when you said your local church i was like whoa you must be a church of like a hundred thousand or something (laughs) (laughs) because i I mean i'm like well that's cool man that is i'll tell you what marriage you know our target audience is a guy with raising kids who's married and and the marriage is is so important where so where would you let me ask you this question where would you put deanna in the relationship order of your life like if you look at jesus at the top Mm-hmm. You know, of your relationship ladder, where's where's Deanna? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> she's number two. So, I mean, it goes without saying. We always uh, preface this with any couples that we work with. If we don't say it, we want you to know ahead of time, Christ is first and foremost. If yes. you get that out of order and that's not correct in your priority— everything else falls apart. You can't fix it. You can't make it right. It won't work. It's like you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. But if Christ is at the top, then we start working. If if everything else is mixed up, but Christ is at the top, you can still get it back in order. Like Absolutely. God's going to lead you to a place, right? But yep. if Christ is not at the top, it all falls apart. But Deanna, she comes in uh, solid number two. So, so here's a question for you. So I had a bumper sticker made a couple of years ago that said, wife is greater than kids. And I'm the only one that put it on my truck. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And, and so I, I, I've had uh, uh, many, many times Christian guys, especially mm-hmm. in second and third marriages say, oh no, I just told my wife, my kids are more important than her. <laughs> so, so there seems to be a disharmony yeah. between what the Bible says and how... Christian guys order their wives in this this relationship hierarchy. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah, I mean, I can see how some individuals would do that, especially if you're looking at uh, second or third marriages and you're thinking, I want to protect my children and I want my children to know that they will always be number one in my life. And I, even in a first marriage, I can see how someone would take that uh, particular approach. However, when we do though, that changes the divine order of what God has orchestrated for us in our relationship and in our marriage and things start to get out of whack. It just doesn't work. So everywhere we see as uh, the Bible speaks to us about the order of marriage or talks to us just about the subject of marriage. Um, Let's take Ephesians 5, for example. Uh, First, we start off with our relationship to God. Then we start off with husband and wife. And then Paul talks about children. He finally brings them in after he talks about the relationship between husband and wife. Same thing happens in Colossians. And then again, we see the same thing happening in 1 Peter. So I think it 
is very, very clear um, that the way that God has divinely structured and the way he would like marriage to work, he instituted marriage to work, is your wife has to be first. Your spouse has to be first. If you're a husband, your wife has to come first. If you're a wife, your husband has to come first, period. I'm so... Um, every guy I bring on the show agrees with you 100%, as do I. We mm. just have to keep saying it over and over again. You know, I was reading the Bible just this morning, and even after uh, Nabal died and David married Abigail, she still in Scripture is called Nabal's wife, not mm. David's. So mm. God's always looking at that first wife, even Bathsheba. He still She's always referred to as Uriah's wife. And mm. so it's really interesting. So, you know, God, not only is he, he, he acknowledged that first marriage over the second, third, fourth, but we need to realize that it's, it's Jesus and it's that first marriage. It's we've got a it's that marriage covenant, right? And Absolutely so no, that's so solid, man. I appreciate that. So so tell you know in your in your bio, uh, I read that you've experienced in twenty seven years, like many of us, oh yeah, mountains and valleys, mountaintops and valleys. You wanna <laughs> you wanna share a valley with us? Would you be willing to be that vulnerable? Oh, I would love to. I think the place <laughs> of vulnerability is the place of connection. Uh, vulnerability begets vulnerability. Um, I'll share this story with you. When Deanna and I were married eight years and we had our second baby, we only have two. We have our uh, son who is 24 years old and our daughter is 19 now. And um, we had our second baby. Her name's Olivia. And during this particular time, she was about four months old. Uh, we went to Disneyland for a family vacation. And along the way, she ended up coming down with RSV. Now, um, that's a yeah, pretty pretty serious illness uh, in children. Not so bad in adults, but it gets again more serious when you get to the elderly. Yeah, and so. Um, she came down with RSV. We had to immediately call an ambulance, took her to the hospital, and uh, make a long, long story short, uh, she uh, coded. And it was the first what? time, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. I mean, we, I, I thought, you know, this, this code blue that you see on television was just for TV. And uh, turns out it's not. It's actually real life. And so she coded. And the doctors told us, they said, hey, um, call your family, call your uh, close friends, because your daughter is not going to, to make it uh, through this. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim. Oh. I mean, it was, it was crazy, crazy. And so um, it was like we were living in a dream. It, it was like we we're living in a nightmare, actually. And so we called our family. I mean, this was 3.30 in the morning. We woke everybody up. And I remember standing in the hallway in the corridor of the hospital. We all grasped hands and we began to pray. And our daughter was then metaflighted to a hospital that was about two hours away from us. And so we had to drive out to meet her there, not knowing if she was going to actually die in the helicopter on the way there or if we would get to see her again. So long story short, uh, again, we get to the hospital, they intubate her, and she is on life support for seven days. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, oh. it was uh, it was heart wrenching. Now, during this time, so in our relationship, 
Um, I am Mr. Cool, Calm, Collected. Like, I'm the guy that is level-headed. If there's an emergency, Jim, you want me to be in the room because I'll be able to get everything done. Now, my wife is not that way. She is like, um, what do I do? I mean, she she just loses it. So... It was so odd because in this scenario, and this has only happened this one time in our relationship, that was flipped. I was the one who was out of sorts, and my wife was steady as a rock. And the difference was that she had heard from God because when she was in the chapel uh, at the first hospital, she was praying and she uh, heard the Lord just speak to her quietly in her heart and said, stop asking me to save your daughter's life and begin to thank me for the gift that she is to you. And she said that from that moment on, she had this peace that was indescribable that she knew everything was going to be okay. I didn't have that peace, Jim. Yeah. And so for me, it was just absolutely bonkers. And so, um, She began to get better. She came off life support after seven days. And as we're moving now from the uh, escalated level of critical care down to um, um, a a normal ICU, Mm -hmm. um, we're in the elevator. The doctor's with me and I'm holding her uh, in, you know, the pushing bassinets or whatever. And she starts to, her eyes start to jiggle and you could just see something was not right. So the doctor says, hang on, let, let me see what's going on here. So he feels uh, her her little tummy, and he's like, oh, and you could see this look in his eye. Finally, the elevator opens up. He calls another doctor over. They're working on her. They're listening to her heart. And I said, well, let's just go back upstairs. She was doing okay there. They're like, no, we can't go back upstairs. It doesn't work that way. Um, we have to do it here. So I said, what's wrong with her? And he's not telling me anything. And I said, what's wrong with my daughter? Again, he's not telling me anything. And finally, I said, hey, what is wrong with her? And he said, well, Mr. Millentree, um, her liver is is hard and it's moved out of place. She is um, and congestive heart failure um, and she's having seizures. That was a seizure that we saw in the elevator. And our daughters never had seizures before. And I'm just like, what in the, we can't catch a break here. So they run all these tests and they're all coming back positive, Jim. And I hope it's closing down. Yeah. But in the middle of this, Jim, here's a valley that I know that God spoke to my heart. And I'm going to use a little bit of hyperbole here because it's easier to swallow. Yeah. But God spoke to my heart. He says, um, so, um, looks like we're in quite a bit of a pickle here. And I'm like, yeah, like, what? Well, yes. And God's, and I remember this, like, as clear as day, he says, so let's start working on that control issue you have in your life. Whoa. And I'm like, what? What? Can't you see that my daughter is sick, God? I need you to heal her. I need you. And it was like, God was saying, hey, hey, that's for me to take care of and to worry about. Now, if you want to take that on, you're more than welcome to, but that's my job. Mm-hmm. Your job right now is to worry about and start dealing with this control issue in your life. Mm-hmm. And Jim, I was a control freak back then in my life. I wanted to control anything and everything. And it was completely and totally unhealthy. 
my daughter began to get worse. And this was the one thing that I couldn't control. I had no control over anything. And I remember praying over my daughter. I looked at my wife and I said, honey, do you think that God wants to, to take her? And she looked back at me with tears in her eyes. And my wife is not a crier. And she said, no, don't you say that. And I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And we talked a little bit more. And I looked down at my little girl and I look into her eyes and there's nobody home. It's like you see her eyes, there's nobody there. And I just prayed the most sincerest prayer that I have ever prayed up until that point in my life. And at this point, I was wrestling with God. And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if you want to take my little girl, I'm okay with it. And Jim, that was the hardest prayer that I had to pray up until that Whoa. point. But I was 100% okay with it. It was well with my soul if God decided to take my child. And my wife and I just held each other and we cried. And I'll never forget it was 9.01, and at 9.21, um, uh, yeah, 9.21, I told my wife, I was like, look at this. And it was like she was home. And so we called the doctors in, and the doctors come in, and now he's having a listen. He goes out in the hallway, and he's motioning for other people to come in. Nurses are coming in. Everybody's coming in, and they're doing all these tests and everything. And they go take her and do more tests. And then they bring her back finally. And the doctor says to us, he says, well, her liver is soft and it's back in place again. She is no longer has um, uh, this issue with her heart and um, is troubled there. Her lungs are clear. She hasn't had another seizure. All the tests we ran yesterday are now coming back negative. And he says to us, there's no medical reason why this should happen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and we had a uh, a nurse who was a believer, and all the doctors left, and she turned around as she was leaving, and she says, but we know why, don't we? And she was pointing to my yeah. wife and I, and she points up, and she says, it was him. And I said, absolutely. And that, Jim, was the start of me dealing with and learning to trust Jesus for control in my life, which led to all kinds of other areas. That valley turned out to be one of the most precious places that God met us and our family and began to deepen our trust, our confidence, our faith in Him. And during that time, Jim, my wife and I grew closer together yeah. instead of further apart. Um, so that would be one of the the bigger valleys that we've that we faced in our life. Wow. Well, you know, the views from the mountaintop are epic, but the fruit yeah. is grown in the valley, right? The fruit is grown Absolutely. in the valley. What would you say to a guy right now <clears throat> who's driving to work and uh, he's in a he's in a marital valley? Yes. And he's just really, really struggling right now. You know, we, you know, I know you work with couples that are in a rut. You know, some couples are just stuck in a rut. Some are spinning their wheels, and some are in a muddy bog, and they're spinning the wheels, and the mess is everywhere. What mm-hmm. would you say to that guy right now? Yeah, I think there's a few things that I would say to that gentleman. First of all, that um, God is on your side. Mm-hmm. Let's just start there because I think as men, we get ourselves into these places where we feel like we um, 
we're unlovable. We feel like, oh, I've messed up so much that um, God is not happy with me, that um, God is actually, um, he's looking down from uh, heaven and he's holding this stick and is waiting for me to mess up. But I, I would say to that person that nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, that in the Lord Jesus, that you have a forever ally. You have someone who is willing to get in the mud and the yuck with you, who is willing to get the stink on him of your life in order for you to be freed from whatever situation or whatever place that you're in. And one of the key things to do that, because the Bible tells us in Galatians that if you are a Jesus follower, if you are a person who is in Messiah Jesus, that you've been given something the world does not have, and that is the Holy Spirit. Yep. And the Holy Spirit is there to help move you from where you are right now to Revelation chapter 5, being priests and kings and rulers over God's good creation. And that Mm. starts with our homes. It starts first and foremost in our life, and then with our wives, and then with our children in our homes and out to our church and our communities after that. And if we would just take the time to turn wholeheartedly towards the Lord, because we do so much in our lives as men when we find ourselves in these places and when we realize, I've been turning away from the Lord. Because at every single point in our life, throughout the day, we are always doing something with God in our heart, whether it is turning towards Him or whether it's turning away from Him. We are doing something with Him in our heart. And when God wants to put his finger on our life and wants our attention, sometimes it's much easier to get in the car and turn the radio up so we drown God's voice out. Mm -hmm. Or we come home and we sit on the couch and we turn Netflix on so we don't have to deal with that nagging thing in the back of our heads and our our minds. But if we would take the time to self-confront, to look at ourselves by the grace of the Holy Spirit, that's the beginning point of things being able and beginning to turn around for you. That's so powerful what you said. God is your forever ally. And as soon as you said that, Romans 8.38 popped in my, my brain. Mm. You know, the, for we are oh, we overwhelmingly conquer. Then the verse continues and talks about, you know, who can separate us from the love of God. So, yes. you know, and I, and I, I agree with you, man. You know, there was a season in my life where I did not think God was for me. I thought he was a, a great lesson teacher. You know, he was going to teach me a lesson. He was going to grow me. But I never realized how much God is for yes. his kids. You know, you talked about the Holy Spirit. With, with the Holy Spirit, we we are no longer children of objects of wrath, according to Ephesians, but we're now, you know, objects of love. You know, yes. God loves his kids. I mean, yes. he created everybody, but he really, I don't know, man. If there's guys, if I'm off on my theology here, hit me up and let me know. But I just think that God has something special in his heart for his children as opposed to those who don't follow him. I just I just Absolutely. have to believe that, right? Like I'm God's kid. You know, yes. I'm not an yes. object of wrath. I'm not separated through sin. Even though I am in I am a sinner, I sin, I'm also a saint. So really, really cool, man. So, yes. so you know, so um, so man, I didn't think we we're gonna get into some great godfather theology here. So that was that's good stuff, brother. <laughs> so hey, I wanna I wanna go back to kind of your sweet spot here. So yes. you, you know, you're 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 helping these couples, you're celebrating these couples when they're on their mountaintops and then you're down in the mud digging them out of their 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 mud bo- bogs and their 
Ruts. So uh, you talk about uh, basically three things that you really love to do with couples. Mm-hmm. One of them is you help couples to take small steps towards each other. Yes. Now, that sounds really, really cool. And I thought, this is cool sounding, but let's unpack it. Like, when you, you know, you see couples and maybe they have put their kids ahead of the marriage and at year 15, 16, 20, they realize, whoa, we are distant, you know, uh, or, yes. or you've got couples that maybe they married for the wrong reasons or who knows what happened. Mm-hmm. How do you help guys? How do you help guys take the, I remember the movie Hitch, right? He's talking yes. about you go 80, she comes 20, you know, yes. I mean, how, how do you help these couples take te- steps towards each other? What, what do you do there? Yeah. Well, I, I think here's here's where I would start with that. So um, when I say that we take steps towards one another, I, I also mean this and we take steps towards Jesus as well. And really the thing that I'm getting at there is this place of repentance because repentance is a, a complete 180, right? And then you start to take a step in the right direction. And if we've been doing marriage wrong, it's time for us to repent, turn around, and now start to move in the good direction, start to move towards our spouse instead of away. So if our spouse is looking for affection and communication and tenderness, instead of you know, blocking and boxing her out and withdrawing and stonewalling, it's time to turn around and take steps towards her uh, mm. to be able to uh, come closer together and build that friendship and affection. And one of the ways this this happens in marriage quite a bit, and it is this principle of a, a fused marriage, a fused relationship, where husband and wife get into a marriage and they both stand on their own two feet. You know, when we we first meet in the dating stage, you know, we look over at each other, we're like, wow, you know, she's smart. She is a, um, she does great at her job. People look up to her. She plays softball on the weekends. Like, I love it. Um, she's smoking hot. I love that. And it's because she's walking in this confidence and the strength of the Lord as she is walking in humility. And like, that's very attractive. And she looks back and she says the same thing, like this guy's smoking hot. He's got a great um, mind and intellect. He loves the Lord, et cetera. But then we get married and what starts to happen, instead of standing on our two feet kind of upright, we start to lean in on each other and Mm. we start to make our spouse responsible for our happiness. And we start to make them responsible for um, how much sex we have. We start to make them responsible for what we did with our finances. We make them responsible for all these certain things. And as long as we're kind of apexed and and leaning on our spouse to make us happy, what happens is, is the moment our spouse pulls away and says, I'm going to do it differently, we're leaning over so much that we fall over. We can't pull ourselves back up. And so, as we are doing this, we're kind of, we have to stay in this position of, you make me happy, you complete me, and we start looking for all the things in the wrong places instead of looking for them in God. Because your spouse was never, ever meant to give you all of those things that only God can give you. Your spouse is not responsible for your happiness. They are not responsible 
for um, the, the, the common things in marriage that we make them responsible for. Yeah. And when we start to give that, I'll say it this way, that power away, we put ourselves in this victim role. Mm-hmm. And so we need to take a step back and start to stand on our own two feet and reclaim some of that power that we've given away, all of it actually. And it starts with doing that in the Lord Jesus. So in the area of, let's just say like communication, for example, us guys, we have a a difficult time communicating sometime and not really knowing uh, what feelings we're feeling or how our wife needs us and wants us to engage. But we have a responsibility to learn that skill. Mm-hmm. to take a step closer to our spouse in an effort to know her better and to live and have this intimate marriage. And when I say intimate, I don't mean sex. I mean intimacy in the sense of I'm making myself known to you. you you're not responsible to come dig it out of me. I'm making myself known to you in an effort to be known. It's not like, again, I'm not giving my power away and saying, hey, if you want to know something, just ask. No. The Bible tells us in Genesis 2.25 that we're to live. Adam and Eve, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Mm -hmm. And that's the only relationship. That's the only relationship that we are told to live that way with another person is in marriage. And so that means that everything about me and everything about my spouse, we are supposed to divulge and supposed to live in a way that is honest and transparent and vulnerable. A place of non-judgment, a place of knowing that my wife is a sinner and I am as well. So I'm not going to judge her, but I'm going to lead her and guide her to Christ Jesus. And and we're going to go there together in an effort for Jesus to make us better. And so leaning into these different places like communication, like sex, like work, like sharing the household chores, all of those things, these are all ways that we take small steps towards our spouse in an effort to cultivate deeper intimacy in our marriages. Man, there is a lot to chew on there. Uh, I, 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 this is good stuff. So you got me, you got me thinking about a few things. So for those of you who are on YouTube, you, you saw what he did with his hands. For those of you who are listening on audio, uh, as he talked about couples leaning together, he put his hands together and he formed a triangle. And it's funny because before you did that, Rich, I had drawn a triangle on my piece of paper (laughs) here, because when you talked about couples leaning into each other, if I'm over here at this, the base of this triangle and Shanna's over here and Jesus is at the top, we are climbing in our relationship with Jesus towards him and growing closer to each other. However, if Jesus, I'm just articulating what you said. If Jesus is not the center of our lives, we're going to lean into each other and we're going to live out the age old lie from Hollywood and Jerry Maguire. You complete me. She's never meant to complete you. So that, that is super powerful. So, okay. I'm going to go back to something you said, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you to our, uh, explain this because I think that this runs counter counter cultural. Sure. And so, but it is biblical. And you said this, you said, she is not responsible for your happiness. Now I, I can just hear some of the, I can hear these guys going, whoa, whoa, isn't marriage supposed to make me happy? So <laughs> can you talk to us about the biblical truth there? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, we're I, laughing because we know it's coming next. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. I mean, I say this all the time. We have couples that we sit in front of all the time. Is marriage going to make you happy? Sure, of course it is. I mean, like just like a new puppy is going to make you happy. A new car is going to make you happy. But those things will fade. The, your ultimate sense of happiness, your ultimate sense of joy comes from a solid place and uh, identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else on top of it is just the cream. And so, when uh, you say, hey, isn't my marriage supposed to make me happy, my spouse supposed to be happy? Uh, yes, absolutely. But the moment that you start looking to your marriage to find your ultimate sense of joy and happiness, what you've done is you've created an idol. Yep. And the idol that you've created is saying, hey, I am going to uh, worship you. I'm going to worship my spouse in order to get something back from you. And what you're trying to get back is happiness. Mm -hmm. What you're trying to get back is joy. What you're trying to get back are all of those things that can only really truly come by God's Spirit working in you. If we fast forward, go backwards, I should say, to when I was talking about Galatians earlier, Galatians 5, um, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those fruits is joy. And that comes from a biblical, foundational, faithful sense of knowing who you are in the beloved and that your position does not change. Whether you have good times or bad times, uh, it does not change. But here's the thing, though. Your marriage, when when things start to go wrong in our marriage, um, we, we start to think, and we hear it all the time, you know what? Then there's something wrong with my marriage. And I'm a strong proponent that there's nothing wrong with your marriage. How God designed it and how he made it is absolutely perfect. It doesn't need to be improved upon one bit. What's happening is your marriage is putting pressure on you to grow up. It's putting pressure on you to mature. It's putting pressure on you to earn your own respect as a man. So when your wife says, hey, you know, I, I, don't, I really don't want to make love tonight. I'm just kind of not in the mood. Us guys, we're, we're notorious for, we blow air, hot air, we roll over in the bed and we kind of ice our wives out, we withdraw. All of that is immaturity. And so when that conflict comes, because it's here, that conflict is your ally. Conflict is not bad in a relationship. You need conflict to get to new places of intimacy. Mm -hmm. But the conflict is there to teach you how to grow up, how to mature in Christ Jesus. So when your spouse says, yeah, you know, today I'm just not feeling it, babe. How about we try tomorrow? That you're able to handle yourself and stand on your own two feet instead of act in immature ways that turn away from your spouse instead of turning towards her. Mm -hmm. And that that pressure that you're feeling is there, again, to help you grow up. Well, it's really interesting, too. When I make my wife the, an idol, first of all, mm -hmm. she didn't ask for that. Right. But when I make her that, she will never deliver because she is not God. Nope. And when, when an idol does not deliver, we begin to uh, become bitter, resentful, uh, loathsome, malicious. Yes. And so this is, you know, part of these marriages that are in trouble are because 
uh, in part, I'm, I'm thinking because they're one of that one or both have made the other the idol. They're leaning into each other and the other step back and now they've fallen flat on their face and now they have resentment towards this person who is not in the position to be their idol, but they've made them so. That's right. That's right. That's it's powerful. this place of of people pleasing that happens a lot in relationships that we see that I am um, doing my very best to make my spouse happy. Um, and when I go to that place of trying to make my spouse happy, instead of um, serving her and loving her selflessly, um, they're Again, idolatry is at the root of that, and I'm wanting something in return, and I'm not being honest about it. It mm -hmm. is, like Proverbs says, it's a trap, and yeah. um, we've got to self-correct, and we've got to get out of that rut, get out of that place, uh, and begin to steer the ship and get it back on, on back on track. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I was 30 years old. I was at uh, LA Coliseum for a Promise Keepers event in 1995, and uh, I had been married— three years and I hated my wife. Mm. So I was in this relationship where we made love all the time, but we just hated each other. Yeah. We just didn't get along. And I remember getting to a point and there was a guy preaching and he kept saying, you got out love, got out, serve your wife. He said it a hundred times. I'm like, come on, buddy. Can you say it again? <laughs> and then the Holy spirit spoke to me and said, Hey Jim, you need to out love and out serve your wife. Yes. And it was in that moment alone, completely alone in a stadium with 80,000 guys that I realize I'm going to out love and out serve her, even if she never reciprocates, I'm yes. going to take the chance. And I think that was when I took her off the platform of my life, the idol, and became, she became my wife. Yes. And so, and that's when our marriage began to change. So this is really good stuff. So I'm going to go, I love the illustration. I feel like there's an illustration God's given us. There's the triangle that we form leaning on the forehead of our wife. Yep. And there's a triangle that God gives us where we're moving towards Jesus as the ultimate, our ultimate, uh, the Lord of our, over our marriage and lives. So this leaning into each other and not Jesus. So, so Rich, is this the number one, the biggest struggle marriages encounter, or is there something that you see that's even more common than that? Well, so number one, statistically, is uh, communication. Um, oh. Matter of fact, even if, if you ask a couple, say, hey, how are you guys doing? Research tells us they will answer that question based on how well they're communicating at the moment. So if oh. they feel like they're communicating well and things are going good, they're going to say, oh, we're doing really good. Thanks for asking. But if they don't feel like they're communicating well, they're going to be, uh, you know, things are tough right now. Uh, things aren't really that great right now. So it's communication really, truly um, outside of the Lord Jesus. Remember, he's always at the top. Communication is the lifeblood of uh, one's relationship. And so it would behoove every single man listening to our voice, every single woman listening to our voice, that you learn the skill of communication and you learn it well. It is a life learned skill. It's something that you can be great at. It's something that you can be um, do with finesse, but it is the skill that you have to learn. So are you, when you say skill that you have to learn, are you talking about Emerson Egrick's pink versus blue? Are you talking about Gary Chapman's love languages? I mean, so guy, we love to do lists. We're guys, right? Sure. So yeah. I'm driving. I'm going, give me a bone. Give me a bone, bro. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so when you say skill, what, what would you, where should a guy start here? Well, so I think the, the number one place to always start is 
self-reflection. Yeah. It was self-confrontation. And this is Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, don't judge. And then he goes into, if you have a log in your eye, your partner has a speck in theirs, um, like get the log out of yours first. Yeah. But what's so wonderful about that particular passage is it's a passage about connection because he doesn't say after you get the log out of yours, then you could pull away and then, you know, start to criticize your spouse. What he says is after you get the log out of yours, then you can see closely or um, better and get closer to help your spouse or your friend, scripture says, remove the speck out of theirs. So it's a Whoa. coming together and coming closer um, that, uh, is is the number one thing is that self-confrontation it has to happen and if yeah. it doesn't happen um things they will go uh, horribly wrong but in that self-confrontation jim i think there's some things that we need to take ownership of whether it's you know guys we have those three primary emotions that we feel happy sad angry and and a lot of us live out of that angry emotion and we've got to be much more savvy with identifying our feelings and what's going on inside of us i'm not saying that we have to turn into these wimpy sappy dudes no god made us to be men to be yeah. um you know that we have that ruggedness and that edge to us and it's there on purpose because that's how God designed us. But we also have an obligation to be fully self-aware of what's going on inside of us as well. So knowing that anger is not just anger, anger could also be, you know, jealousy or it could be discontentedness. It could be a place of um, uh, dissatisfaction. Uh, happiness could be joy. It could be confidence. It could be like, there's a lot that goes into our emotions and if we live in the three, the happy, sad, angry, we do ourselves such a disservice. Yeah. But the other thing is, is leaning into those and to the discomfort of them. Because when we start to expose our hearts, especially as guys, it feels a little uncomfortable sometimes. It feels, no, nah, I'm not going to say sometimes, a lot of times until you <laughs> yeah. really start to hone in this skill. But, and then we, we pull back from that um, feeling exposed and that feeling of vulnerability. And that's the place to lean into. The other thing I think that makes us really uncomfortable as guys is, and this is going to take the help of a skilled coach or a counselor or a pastor to help you see this, but your emotions will always lead you back to the things that you love. So, if you have an emotion of anger over something and you see, um, um, maybe you're walking in Target and you see a guy just reach back and, and slap his girlfriend or his wife, that should make, number one, all of us get mad. That's a mm -hmm. righteous anger to have, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that emotion is going to lead you back to say, you know, I value um uh, God's order and his design and um, what he uh, puts in a man's heart is to lead his family, not to dominate her. And yep. so that leads you back there. If you are jealous about something that your, your spouse is doing, that emotion is going to lead you back to what's really going on in your heart. And for have someone in your life to be able to pull that out of you is important. So what I hear you saying is we need to identify the things within the marital relationship that create and generate emotion so that we can trace that back and say, okay, how do I correctly handle this in a biblical way 
that will draw my wife and I both closer to Jesus and thus closer to each other? Absolutely. I mean, okay. because the, the, the formula is simple, right? The formula is this, your thoughts lead to feelings, lead to behaviors. So if you want to change your behaviors, you change your thoughts. You don't change your feelings. You change your thoughts because there's there's truth or there's a lie. There's one of the two that you're believing. There's nothing in between. So if we go back and we correct the wrong thinking, it changes the feelings, which changes the behavior. But we're not good at being able to do that as guys a lot of time, and we need someone to help us along in that journey. I'll tell you what, man, you are so good at articulating this thing. I'm just telling you right now, you're coming back on my show. We're going to have to (laughs) tackle. We're going to have to go a little deeper here, but I do want to talk about one more issue in our last 15 minutes. And one of the things you like to do is you help couples recapture lost affection. And then you also help them to create an intimate marriage. So, so when, when guys, when guys, so I'm going to just confess here in those three years when my wife and I, I hated her, but we had great sex. I mean, it was like, I give you a massage, you give me sex. So yes. in other words, we had this uh, affection, intimacy, a sexual intimacy thing. So we had this reciprocation expectation. Now uh, that has completely changed. That is not even on the table. I just rub her feet all day long and, yes. and she gives yes. me sex whenever I want. And even when I don't want, I mean, she just, you know, so it's just changed. But what I'm saying here is this. Men get confused between affection and sexual intimacy, and yes. and we also get confused between intimacy and sexual intimacy. Yes. So, can you help us guys? Can you unpack this for us? Yeah, let me let me try to do that a little bit. So, what you were describing in your relationship with your wife in the first three years wasn't even intimacy; that was control. That oh, was a, a form. I, was, I was thinking more manipulation. <laughs> oh, well, and that's control as well. It's manipulation. Yeah. It's control, right? Yeah. It is. Um. It's entitlement. It's domineering. It's it's all of those things baked in there. It but, isn't masculine though. No, it's, it's male. Absolutely it's not. male, but it's not masculine. Yeah. That's absolutely correct. And so intimacy is really this place of revealing yourself. It's this place of making yourself known oh, so you're knowable. Yes. 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 So so my spouse doesn't have to go digging around. Like, of course, my spouse is going to be curious. And of course, she's going to ask me questions. But the more that I'm making myself known to her, the better connection, the better um, intimacy, the better that we are going to become and flourish as friends and even best friends in our relationship with one another, that um, we get to the place where things are, they're fresh and they're fun and they're wonderful again, that we're no longer roommates. And and date nights take on a whole new meaning when we're at this place of opening and sharing our hearts with one another. If Here's the thing, Jim, if as a man, you don't know how to open up and share your heart and share your soul with your wife, there is no way in the world that you're opening up and sharing your heart and sharing your soul with Jesus. It's Ooh. just not possible. Whoa, whoa, so whoa. That's you good. have to learn this. Say that again. That was good. I want these yeah. guys to listen. I want them to, I know they just heard you. I want to make sure they listened. Mm. If you were not opening your heart, and being intimate and sharing who you are, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the super disgusting, all of it. If you can't do that with your spouse, there is no way in the world that you are doing that with the Lord Jesus. 
It's just not happening. So it's important. It's vital that we learn how to show up and be intimate with our spouse um, to Hey, this is what I want. This is, uh, let me give you a, a, an example we use in our coaching sometimes. And so it really helps uh, men to be able to see and to own like what's really going on for them. So sometimes as men, we, we, ha- we get these wild ideas and we get these harebrained things going in our mind. And this is in the, in the arena, in the area of sex. And we'll come home and we'll say, oh, hey, babe, by the way, um, you know, I would really like to try this position in our sex lives. And your spouse looks at you and she's like, that's disgusting. Why would you ever want to try something like that? And then what do we do as guys? We say, oh, no, I was just playing. I just wanted to see what you would say. (laughs) But really, we really did want to do it. And, And I'll tell you, if there's nothing wrong, if it doesn't go outside the pale of scripture, like it's all on the table, you can do it. But totally. obviously you want to make sure that you're both on the same page. So instead of owning it, we shrink back and we disguise, we don't make ourselves intimate. We don't mm. say, you know what, honey, I respect the fact that you don't want to do that. But I, you know what? That does interest me. And I would like to do that. And and if you're not ready, no problem. But I would like for us to leave this on the table for maybe some time in the future. That is standing on your own two feet. That is intimacy. That is not running your spouse over to dominate her and say, oh, we're doing this. That is completely different, Jim. And you know what's interesting? Conversely, I would say, uh, because we have a lot of women that listen to this podcast, I would say that they need to understand that we are, as men, you use the word disgusting. We really are. I mean, we really are. And our women don't know that we, how disgusting we really are. And I mm. think women need to really default on my husband's a disgusting pig and, and, and try to pull that out of him in some way. Don't you think? I mean, our wives need to assume that we are demented in our, especially sexually, right? And to, and to draw, help us to be vulnerable with our wives in that area. Before yeah. there's an addiction or a train wreck or a, an adulterous type of situation. So absolutely. I mean, yeah. one of the hardest things for me, so this was another valley in our relationship. This was um right our our son, who, like I said, is 24 now, he was one year old. And I confessed to my wife that I had a pornography problem. And it was a very difficult time of our lives, and it was a very long road to healing and recovery and learning, okay, so what exactly is going on with me? But some of the wonderful things that came out of that time, Jim, was me learning how to express and share with my wife what is going on inside of me. Now, there were plenty of times where she would say, hey, I, I just, I can't, I don't have the bandwidth for that, or I can't do that. I'm like, no problem. I'm not going to force that on you. Or, uh, and my wife, man, if you have an issue with pornography, your wife should never be your accountability partner. That, no, that should agreed. never, ever happen. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So, um, it was an opportunity for me to take that to um, my mentor, my pastor, and my dad and say, hey, here's what's going on. But if I was never able to come to her and say, hey, hun, 
today was just not a good day for me. And I, I spent a lot of time on the internet going places that I, I shouldn't have gone. Now we don't have to get into all the gruesome, gory details all the time. And sometimes that's appropriate. And sometimes it's not, but if you're not willing to step into that place and go there and be vulnerable and be intimate, that's the place that you need to move closer towards. And I want to be careful to draw a line of demarcation here because, because, uh, pornography, that is a sin. Yes. And sharing that with your wife, that is a part of intimacy, but don't think that pornography is intimacy. (laughs) You know, I want to make care, you know, Hey, confessing and being vulnerable, that is the intimate part, but we're not, we're not telling you guys, Hey, your, your, your pornography problems. Okay. No. Pornography (laughs) is the antithesis of intimacy. Exactly. Um, Yeah. That will keep you secluded. It will keep you in a place of anonymity. It will keep you in secrecy and darkness. No, absolutely not. No, that's so good, man. Well, you know, oh gosh, we are out of time. I, I need to get you back on the show. Uh, there's just a lot here to to talk about, and you yes, articulate it so it. well. Give us, give our guys one last. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, you know, throw up that, you know, we call it a fungo bat in baseball and hit one out of the park. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want to leave our guys with? Give us one final marriage thought. Yeah, let me let me. I'll I'll, I'll do two if I can do it really quick. Jim. Absolutely. Oh, you got plenty okay. of time, but. <laughs> Okay, so one is um, statistically, so these are marriage statistics, couples who have been married five or more years, research shows that they have less than two minutes of uninterrupted conversation per day. Now, couples push back on this in the research. They're like, no, we talk all the time. But what the research found out was that we're talking about who's taking the kids to soccer. What are we doing the weekend? Yeah. Oh, we have the birthday party, all the business things. But when we stopped talking about our hearts and we've stopped talking about us and getting curious and the research pointed out to correct this, all a couple needs is 10 uninterrupted minutes a day. 10. Can you imagine that? We get 168 hours a week and all we need is 10 to move into this place of a thriving, healthy relationship. 10 minutes. So that would be one that I would say, men, start there with your wives. Have a time where after the kids are down, you guys can go out in the backyard. You can maybe... um, sit out in the living room. It's uninterrupted. The TV's off, your phones are off, your devices, and it's just face-to-face with one another where you can have that conversation. And the other one is this, is date nights. So date nights, we are absolute proponents of. Absolutely. Right? And the research is so strong on this. You do not need to have a date every single week to have a thriving, healthy relationship. The research tells us that one date per month, one date per month puts you in the category of a couple whose marital satisfaction is in the high percentile for Mm. um, feeling connected and loved and all of those things. So date your wives, gentlemen, plan the date, go and do novel things, do something new, do something. The best kind of dates in my book are the ones where you both do something that you're not skilled at. You make tons of memories. You both look like fools doing it and you just have a wonderful time. My wife and I recently went ax throwing. I've, we've never been in our life. It 
was like crazy. <laughs> like, oh, this is really cool. But we both sucked at it so bad. Yeah. And it was just wonderful. So date your spouses and have that time of connection where you get the opportunity to open up and have intimacy with one another. That's so, so the other night, my wife and I picked up some uh, lawn or uh, deck furniture on uh-huh. the marketplace and we were driving. So we love our dirty little pleasure in the summertime is Dairy Queen blizzards. Oh yeah. And, and not yes. all blizzards are made equal, bro. Not You're all right. blizzards are the same. So there's one blizzard that's about 20 minutes from our house that we just love. There's one in our hometown. We just absolutely loathe. They don't put enough chocolate in them. And so we're <laughs> driving uh, the other way. And I know there's a blizzard, there's a Dairy Queen over there. Yes. And I dr- we're driving out there and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to, I need to confess something to you. She said, what? And I said, w- w- I want to do an experiment. And I just want you to trust me. Can you trust me? She goes, yeah. And I go, I want to do an experiment tonight. And she, I go, okay. And I go, and you'll never guess what it is. And she goes, yeah, you want to go sample the blizzard at Dairy Queen in Newburgh. And I'm like, how did you know? She's like, how long have we been married? So we went and had a, an impromptu date night sampling the blizzards at Dairy it. Queen. By the way, they are amazing. And they've got yeah. some great new flavors. But So I love this. So, okay, so I, I love how well you articulate this next time we got to bring Deanna in here and, and have oh, her she on would with love you. It. She and would so, love it. so, so how can we get a hold of your resources? If we've got guys that are spinning their wheels in marriage, and they need some help. I know you guys do some stuff with couples. What's yeah. the best way to get a hold of you guys? Yeah, I appreciate you asking Jim and give me the opportunity to share. So really, if you go to growinginmarriage.com, um, that's where you can get connected to everything that we do. And um, uh, Growing in Marriage is, uh, we're on Instagram at the same handle, at Growing in Marriage, um, growinginmarriage.com, Facebook, we're at Growing in Marriage, even though we don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. That's the account that was probably like the, the stepchild. Yeah. But we have um, a marriage retreat. We host one annually. It's the first week in October. Right now, registration is open for it. So Whoa. couples can find out about that on our website. This year, we are going to the beach. We're going to Capitola, Santa Cruz, and we're oh, going to have yeah. our marriage of truth. Yes, it's going to be fantastic. Spent a lot of time there in college. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then um, we also uh, do coaching. Like I said, um, when we were off air, we we coach, uh, we have couples in all over the U.S. and then, of course, out of country as well. So if you're in a tough spot in your relationship and you want to get a hold of us for some coaching, um, we do that as well, biblical counseling. And um, and then we have a couple books that I think would be really helpful. So we talked about talking and sharing with your spouse. And um, our bestseller is our book uh, called Face to Face. And it's just really, it's a book of conversation starters that you can go surface level or you can go way deep under the ocean with this book if you want to. And it's something you can take, pop in your, the glove box of your car, have it with you on road trips, and just flip it open. Hey, what do you think about this? And, and it puts up a question for you. You guys have great conversation about it. And then lastly, the last thing I'll mention, Jim, is our... Um, our spiritual intimacy book that's growing spiritual intimacy between couples. And that's our um, couples Bible study. Now, this is not a Bible study like any other. Um, It is fun. It's engaging. It is built into it are all of these mnemonics um, that help you memorize and help you really get God's word in. 
But then the cool thing about it is when you guys come together, now you can do it together if you want, but sometimes that rhythm doing it together is just explosive. So you maybe need to do it separate. But when you come together, we already give you all the questions. So in the husband's workbook, there's questions to ask your wife that husbands would never think of and vice versa. Wives ask their questions for husbands that they would never think of. And that's available on our website too at growinginmarriage.com. Man, that's so cool. And I want to, you guys, you guys, I'm already reading your minds. He did not say demonics. He said mnemonics. That's right. Memory that's right. devices, boys. Not, yes. he's like, did he say they give us demonics? No, <laughs> no, this is not the gospels relived. And he, so, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey man, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I I'm, I'm really impressed. And so I definitely want to get you on here in the fall, maybe, uh, maybe a little bit after that, but thanks so I much man, for coming on the show. Sure, look forward Absolutely. to seeing you again, brother. Thank you so much, Jim. And I look forward to you being on our podcast. That's me too, be man. Fun. I'm excited. Yeah. God bless. Take care. Bless you. Hey, guys, I want to end today with one of our man laws that you can pick up in my free resource, Man Laws 101 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. This is man law number 25. Are you ready? Here it is. If you borrowed it, return it quickly in better condition than when you borrowed it. The life rule here is this, be trustworthy. Hey guys, if you enjoyed today's episode and you are not currently subscribed to the Men in the Arena podcast, would you please, please, please hit that subscribe button and follow us. A lot of people just listen without following. And when you follow us, it helps us to climb those charts, helps us ultimately to reach more men and families for Christ. As you know, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.